his needs. And sometimes they can actually become angry and aggressive and abusive when things don't go exactly the way that they want. They fixate on their rights, their wants, their needs, their situation because they become so self-absorbed. Now, at this point, some of you might be asking, why are we doing a series on recovery? I mean, why are we doing this series in the first place? When are we going to do something for me? We are. Right now. Folks, all this focus on our culture about self has led to an unprecedented preoccupation with physical appearance and the thirst for material things and instant fame. And check out this statistic that I found out this week. Among college students, anxiety levels, depression, loneliness, suicide, and addictions are all at an all-time high. 85% higher are those things happening to college students than they were in the 1950s. 71% higher than in the 1970s. Now, Judith Twins, who's a secular author, she wrote a book called Generation Me. She writes this, Our growing tendency is to put the self first. Leads to unparalleled freedom, but it also creates an enormous amount of pressure on us to stand alone. This is the downside of the focus on the self. When we are fiercely independent and self-sufficient, our disappointment loom large because we have nothing else to focus on. Fiercely independent, self-sufficient, with only myself to focus on, that used to describe Chris Almighty. You see, I think that's why God said these words. He said, you shall have no other God before me. Although God is literally the center of the universe and everything really does revolve around him, God's not on an ego trip when he uses that phrase. He just says, I know that when anything, especially ourself, sits on the throne of our life, we're leading ourselves away from the source of life and down the road of self-sufficiency, self-absorption, pride, emptiness, and a boatload of trouble. That's why the scripture says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you remember last week, we gave an equation that we talked about that leads to self-destruction. And the equation goes like this. Self-deception plus self-reliance equals self-destruction. That self-deception, along with self-reliance, always leads to self-destruction. The Bible puts it this way in Proverbs 18. It says, Arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit when they need help. We said last week that the real key question of this entire series is this. Do you want to get well? Remember we told the story about Jesus who uh, was at a pool and a man who had been lame for 38 years is there waiting to get healed. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get healed? Do you want to get well? Do you want to break through the surface and do you want to breathe again? Do you really want to get free from your addiction, from your pain, from your hurt, from your hang-up, from your habit? Do you want to get well? Are you really ready to finally admit that all the promises, all the good intentions, all the willpower, all the self-help is just not working? If it could, it would, but it can't, so it won't. And if your answer to this whole wellness question is a sincere yes, that you know what, I really do want to get well. I want to get better then the first step 
to walking free that we learned last week is this. Let's read it out loud together. The first step to experience freedom. To start walking free, I must admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life has become unmanageable. That's the first step. It's a step that you finally say, enough. No more pretending. I'm not going to be faking anyone else out. I'm not even going to fake myself out. So myself out. This is crazy. This is insane. I've got a problem. I need to get it fixed. I need help. I can't do it on my own. I really do want to get well. Anyone who, uh, we'll throw a picture up here. Anyone know uh, who this person is? Stevie Ray Vaughan, like some of you remember. You know what you should do today, just so that you free yourself up a little bit? Go to your mirror and do that pose with no one watching. You know what I mean? Like, already, you feel better, you know? Well, Stevie Ray Vaughan was like one of the best guitarists ever. And uh, he wrote a song called Wall of Denial because he was an alcoholic as well. And it goes like this. A wall of denial is falling down. Woe, it's falling so hard down to the ground. Never knew something so strange could be washed away by tears. But this wall of denial was just built on fear. And we learned last week that this wall of denial is so huge and it's difficult for us to ever get over it. The wall of denial comes crashing down. And yet at the same point, when we finally get over that wall and we say we're not going to deny ourselves anymore, I'm not going to live in this stage of denial, then that's where hope begins to sprout. It's there that we begin to see the light. We learn that there is real power in this thing called powerlessness, that I actually find power in my powerlessness. When I get off the spin cycle and I start to process to a point where I say, you know what, I want to live a sane life. And sanity is restored. And it begins to really begin to move in when we drop the denial and we humble ourselves before God. Blessed are the broken. The only problem for many of us is this. We will go to great lengths before we ever turn to brokenness. I mean, we will stay forever in these horrible lanes of life until we uh, turn to brokenness, until we say, I'm surrendering it. I mean, even though you know that your life is out of control and things aren't going so well, you will still say to yourselves, I got this. I got this under control. I can fix this problem. I really don't need any help. I think if I just try a little bit harder, I can do this. Now let me illustrate this for you a little bit by one of the dumbest movies probably ever uh, produced, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now, how many of you know have ever seen this movie or not? Okay, this was a lot better. You're weirder than the first group, okay? Uh, the 9 o'clock group, just a few hands went up and I thought, we might have to cut this thing, but I'm glad I did. Now, if you've ever seen the movie... You'll remember the scene of the Black Knight. And he is uh, in this wooded area, and this king comes up, and he wants to take him on. And so they start sword fighting. And pretty soon the king cuts off one of his arms. And he's just got one arm now and two legs. And if you remember, when the, when the arm is broken, he goes, but a flesh wound, it's simply a flesh wound. So they keep on fighting more and more, and he cuts off the other arm. And so now this guy doesn't have any arms, and he's kicking the king now uh, with his legs. Well, then he gets one uh, leg cut off, and then the other one, and he's finally just a stump. And the stump is like trying to move to jump towards him, and he finally reaches down, or he looks to the guy, and he goes, Come here, and I'll bite your kneecaps off. <laughs> and sometimes, folks... That's the way 
that we get. We know we have a problem, and we keep on saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And we're just a stump of a person jumping up and down, thinking that we're going to solve this thing by ourselves. And we keep saying, I think I can do this. And it's crazy. It's insane. You'll never be happy. You'll never be blessed. You'll never find freedom in life until you finally give up control. And you surrender. And you become what the Bible says is meek. Jesus actually said these words in his greatest sermon that he ever gave. He said this, blessed are the meek. The Greek word for that word meek there actually means to bridle wild horses. To put a bridle and to bridle wild horses. So you come to God and you finally say, God, my life is spinning so out of control. It's running wild and I want to give the reins over to you. Because I believe that you would do a better job of controlling my life than myself trying to control my life. I need help. Blessed are the meek. One of my favorite verses in the series that we'll be looking at is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. Folks, what you've got to realize is that we're in this thing together. None of us lives on a separate island by ourselves when we come into Christ's community. And this particular series is for everybody because we all struggle with something. But none of us have to struggle alone. This community, the JAR, exists so that we don't have to go through this life alone. This morning, I'd like you to hear a story from a good friend of mine, Mitch Hansel. He's a real person with a real story of recovery. And Mitch's story uh, is a story where he finally realized that it was only in total surrender that he could actually start living a healthy life and be healed within his life. So if you would, please join me in welcoming Mitch to the stage. Now let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, Mitch and I uh, grew up together. And uh, we've known each other since we were toddlers. And so any of the trouble that I've ever experienced in my life is because of him. So I just wanted to put that out there so all of you uh, would kind of know that. But uh, seriously, Mitch and I have been friends for about 35 years. And I wanted you to hear kind of his powerful uh, story of surrender. And so, Mitch, I thought maybe you could just begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe a little bit about your family as well. Yeah, well I guess uh, Oprah Winfrey here is going to get all of us on the couch eventually, so <laughs> your time will be coming. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> I come from a large family with four brothers. Uh, we grew up on a farm and we're pretty poor. My grandpa was a minister at the Church of the Brethren, so my family attended the Marian Church of the Brethren where I met this guy. Uh, we still argue over who's the worser influence growing up. Uh, Chris was a pretty bad kid. I'm just That's saying. That's just your opinion. I got evidence. I got stories, but we won't go there. Me, I always wanted to please people. My dad was very tough and authoritative to my brothers, so I tried to be the good kid to make up for all the heartache my brothers caused my dad. I was on the high honor roll for my whole life. Uh, all my brothers wrestled, but I was the best wrestler, having uh, broken the two school records and gone to state finals twice. My elementary school principal told me whatever I put my mind to, I could achieve. Okay. So uh, kind of this high-achieving kid uh, in wrestling, academics, all that kind of stuff. And um, after high school, how did that uh, success kind of continue to express itself? 
Well, I wanted to make a lot of money. I was good at math and science, so I went into engineering at Purdue. But while I was at Purdue, something started to stir in my heart. Um, maybe I could make a lot of money and yet help some people along the way. So I went into civil engineering. After I graduated, I planned to maybe even join the Peace Corps and build roads and infrastructure overseas. I maybe even save the world. I felt that if I tried to make the world a better place, maybe God would love me more. I eventually met a young lady, Tamara, who was equally, if not more, driven than me and had a similar desire to save the world as well. She wanted to work for NASA as an aerospace engineer, but also wanted to serve in the Peace Corps with me. Okay, so uh, the story, Mitch is at Purdue. He's going into civil engineering. Uh, this girl that he starts dating uh, is going to be at NASA. And so two very high kind of achieving people. And so you met Tamara, and then what happened kind of within that relationship? Well, we eventually got married. She was a fascinating woman, and I was head over heels in love with her. We felt that the New Age mirrored our beliefs more than the traditional church. Uh, Jesus said, These things you shall do in greater. We learned how to pray without ceasing, heal with our hands, feel the presence of angels, and hear God's voice. We felt we knew so much more than the everyday person. Eventually, Tamara started hearing the voice of God telling her that she had a special relationship with God that no one else did. I never questioned it, and before long, we began to isolate ourselves more and more. Tamara achieved her dream of working at NASA as an intern. While working at NASA, she had a vision that she was supposed to do more with her life by writing a book that would heal the world. I know it sounds crazy, but when you get into the New Age movement, uh, crazy becomes the new norm. She quit her dream job and moved back to Indiana. Tamara believed that to achieve this world healing, we needed to eliminate the negative influences from our lives. So Tamara had already disowned her family. It was time for me to disown mine. It was painful, but I did it for the greater good. When the book did not get picked up by a publisher, we needed to move to an area with more positive spiritual energy. We moved out west. Everyone knows it's more spiritual out west, maybe except for Hollywood. <laughs> so that was kind of the transition. So these two high-achieving people uh, get wrapped up into the New Age movement. And at that point, they move out west to think that that's where uh, all enlightenment uh, will kind of come from. And uh, then kind of what kind of happened uh, next once you guys moved on the west coast? Well, that's when things got really bad. I lost my job after two months. We had so much debt for moving around the country and her not working that I had to file for bankruptcy. I found a new job that was barely getting by. The voice in Tamara's head told her that she would not receive the riches that she deserved as long as she was married to me. She divorced me, but uh, still had me supporting her. After a couple of months, I told her I couldn't support her in, anymore. She had to get a job. At that point, she disowned me and caused me to lose my job. So you move out west, and everything goes south. And in the midst of that, um, you really begin to start saying, wow, I, I, I disowned my family, my you know, wife has left me. You're totally alone. I mean, it had to be probably the darkest valley, I would think, that you'd experienced. I had no job and no money. I was about to be homeless. Um, Buddha was not very helpful. Uh, no amount of positive energy or thought was fixing my situation. I'd eaten at the spiritual buffet and found myself hungry. I had to swallow my pride and reconnect with my family. I remember being at my breaking point, and I fell on the floor with my face on the ground, and I cried. I told God I can't do it anymore. I'm financially, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. You have to do it for me. At that moment, I felt this sense of peace. And I got up from the floor and called my parents. And to my amazement, they welcomed me back like the prodigal son. So you're out there, nothing. You make the phone call, and, uh, and they welcome you back. And... Uh, that was like the first day of surrender, the road to surrender. Absolutely. But I know that that road of surrender hasn't stopped, that you've continued to do that. And so what, what's that road kind of look like since then? Uh, it hasn't been a cakewalk. Um, I got married again and divorced again. I was humbled by God one more time. After my second divorce three years ago, I started coming to the jar. I went to celebrate recovery and started going to small group. I learned to surrender every day in every way. I overcame my codependency issues and found a godly woman <laughs> woman of my dreams and my wife, Karen. <laughs> I've learned I don't need to be rich or earn anyone's love anymore. I don't have to save the world because Jesus already did that for me. I realize now I just want to serve God by serving others. 
And if I can, I try to help others to know Christ and avoid the mistakes I've made. Surrender is a daily challenge, but I found it the healthiest way to live. That's how I define success now. Well, Mitch, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. And would uh, you join me in uh, thanking him for... Well, you know, the key question to this whole series really is, do you want to get well? Do you want to stop doing the whole spin cycle thing and get off the hamster wheel and actually surrender to Christ. I'd like us to throw up this next scripture verse up. It's kind of the the theme for this series. And let's read it out loud together. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. May they have peace both near and far, for I will heal them all. God's just saying, if you're drowning, I'll reach down and rescue you. If you need some help, I will break through the surface so that you can actually breathe. If you remember last week, I shared with you that we were going to take this word breathe and we were going to use one of the letters uh, each week. And last week we looked at the letter B, and we said that this stood for, Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the broken. And then this week we learned that the R really stands for ready to surrender. That I'm ready to finally surrender. This is the step that people often will say is the step where you say, let go and let God. This is the step where you take, where you realize that the universe really doesn't surround you. That the universe doesn't circle around you. That the universe doesn't revolve around you. You acknowledge your self-centeredness. You step out of your self-reliance, your attempts of self-help, and you humble yourself. You say, hey, I'm going to quit Plain God. You come down off the throne that you're sitting on of your own life. You get out of the driver's seat and you say, God, I want you to take the will and drive. And you surrender to the leadership and the authority of God for your life. Now here's kind of the second step to experience freedom. You finally say this. You say, I'm ready to surrender my life and will to the care and control of Jesus Christ. You get to the point where you just say, I've had it. I'm ready now. I'm totally ready to surrender my life to the will and to the care and control of Jesus Christ. Now, you need to know that this begins with a willingness to simply say that, God, I think you're stronger than me. That there is a higher power that is greater than you are, and you give your strength to live again. You give your control to them. You, get, you say, God, I want you to be the one who runs the show. And this is simply a willingness to believe, a will to kind of change the focus of your life. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, It is possible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know, for most of my life until I became 26, I always thought the way that you got closest to God was that you simply had to have this gigantic faith. That you had to have this huge amount of faith and then God would honor that. And I've learned that that is so much not what it is. That really what it is is that you just need a little faith to believe that God is capable of working in your life more than Chris Almighty is of working in his life. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you get back on track and things change. That's all God needs. He says, just give me a little bit and I'll begin to start revealing myself to you. Just a sincere Simple faith. 
You see, when Jesus would approach people who were actually broken, he wanted to see if they had a willingness within them to actually believe. Is there a simple humility that says, you know what, I can't, but I believe that you can, Jesus. I can't do it, but I really believe that you can. I'm ready to give up my control to you. Dan Gillum, who is a uh, recovering alcoholic and a Christian author, wrote a book called God Touches. And I'd encourage any of you to, to pick it up, but it's called God Touches. And in it, he says this, As a rule, people who struggle with alcoholism or any of its dirty little cousins most often have the best intentions and believe it when they tell you that this time they really mean to change. The problem, however, lies in the inability to convert these sparkling intentions into life-changing actions. And then he goes on to this, in this book and he talks about a two-year period of time in which he basically just lived a life that was disconnected from anyone and everyone he knew. He went on a hitchhiking kind of trip where he would go through the country for two years, hitchhiking all the way. And when he did this, he said that most of this trip was just a blur, but that he did find a few lowlights, such as he writes here. The beating I took from a Georgia cop, when having asked for the ID, I showed him a dollar bill and told him, I'm George Washington. On another occasion, after I'd passed out, a friend who was carrying me on his shoulder dropped me on my head, but failed to tell me that that had happened, leaving me with unexplainable double vision for a week due to a serious concussion. Then there was a time a truck driver woke me up, kicking me in the ribs because I had rolled out onto the highway after passing out drunk on the road. How I live to tell these stories still is a mystery to me, but I believe that God's providential hand was upon my shoulder and was finally allowed to work when I finally said, I let go and I let God. You know, some of you might be at a point where many of us were at one time when we said, I hear you, but before I would ever let go, before I'd ever turn my life totally over to God, I want to know what God is really like. Because what I found in my life is that many people have a very skewed image of God. And often it's due to the relationships that were in their family system or with their kids. And what happens is those relationships get transferred onto God. For example, if you had a father who was disconnected and uncaring, you kind of have that image of a God who's like that. If your parent was very hard and demanding, you tend to kind of be afraid of God. If your father was abusive, then you kind of think that maybe that's the way God is. He, he abuses me. I remember when we first started the JAR, we were meeting upstairs where the kids meet now. And there was a woman who would start uh, coming to this little group that was meeting together. And she would talk about her father, and she would talk about how demanding he was. And how the expectations were higher than what she could ever meet. And when she finally started to rebel in her life, and she started drinking a little bit, and she had a couple of kids out of wedlock, and even went through the pain of an abortion, her dad just kind of walked away totally from her life. And I remember counseling her one time, and while I was listening to her, she said this, there is no way I could ever give my life over to God. He would just expect too much, and I could never meet his expectations. 
And so I probed a little bit more, and I finally realized that she uh, viewed God as a drill sergeant. Yes, sir. No, sir. And whatever I would do would, would be that image of God. And so I could never meet the expectations. Now, I remember after meeting with her a couple of times with this, I finally just looked at her and I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to fire your God. You should fire your God. Because the God that I know is loving and forgiving and honest, and he will always be with you. I had a God like your God growing up as a kid, and I I didn't like that God, and so I fired that God. And you need to fire that God, and you need to get a new God. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that there's more than one God. There's only one true God. It's just that the God that many of us perceive is not the true living God. Some of you have misperceptions of God. Some of you think, you know what? Nobody knows the real me. God knows. Some of you think, nobody knows the hell that I'm going through in my marriage right now. You're wrong. God knows. Nobody knows how hard it is for me to break this habit that I'm in right now. God knows. Nobody knows how guilty and frustrated I feel when I fail. God knows. Nobody knows what it's like to come home from school and to have your mom passed out on the couch drunk every single day. God knows. Nobody knows what it's like to bury someone who you've loved for 30, 40, 50 years. God knows. Nobody knows how afraid and anxious and panicky and worried and tired and depressed that I really am. God knows. Look at this cool verse in Psalm 56. It says this, You keep track of all of my sorrow. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Isn't that cool? Collects all your tears. You have recorded each one in your book. You see, folks, the reality is God doesn't only know you. He cares about you. And some of you just need a different perspective on what God's parenting is actually like. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he understands how weak we are. He knows that we're only dust. God knows us because he made us. And he has a perfect love for us. Psalm 32.10 says this, Unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Psalm 103.7 says this, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. God says, I care about you and I am your constant friend. You can come to me anytime. This next passage of Scripture, I'd like us to read it together because it's really powerful. This is God speaking to us. And let's read it together. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Can I just say something to you guys as someone who cares about each one of you and who prays for you often and who loves you? Some of you simply need someone in your life who is stronger than you are. You need someone who is stronger and better and smarter than yourself. You need someone to help you to pull you out, to walk along with you. You can't do it by yourself. 
Now, one of the cool things that's happened at the jar is that many people, dozens and dozens of people, have found freedom by coming to celebrate recovery and making that a part of their kind of weekly habit. Mitch did this for several years um, to go and to do celebrate recovery on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. And for some of you, that's where you need to start. Just say, you know what, 7 o'clock, I'm going to be there this Thursday. doesn't mean you have it all together. It just says, hey, you know what, this is a place where we're not going to deny anymore. Now, others of you, uh, you're going through some grief right now. I just had a funeral this week of uh, a family, and the family's just grieving. And some of you have been grieving for years, but you've never actually gone and, like, got all that stuff out. You just keep keeping it inside. And so Grief Share is going to start uh, on April 22nd at Young's Title at 6.30. And some of you, you should just write it on your calendar right now. I'm going to be there. I don't want to hold this in anymore. You see, folks, the first step to any health in your life is when you surrender, when you say, I need help, and when you say, most of all, that I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you will surrender your life, he will give to you his unfailing love. And, folks, there are some benefits that go along with this. Some of you have been coming here for multiple times. Maybe today's your first time. But for all of us, you need to know this. There are benefits when you come into a relationship with Jesus. It's not like there's no benefit package. There is. And the first benefit is that your sins are forgiven. All of them. Even the skeletons in the closet. That's a pretty big gift, right? Like, that's a good benefit. I mean, you're forgiven. Your sins are wiped clean. And some of you are like, yeah, I've kind of taken that step. But some of you, today, you should just say, I don't know what your plans are. You know, the Masters doesn't start till 2 o'clock. And it's kind of cold today. But some of you should, should just go to the baptism class right after this. If you haven't been baptized, you should say, hey, today's my first day. I'm, gonna, I'm surrendering to Christ, and I'm going to obey him into this obedience. And secondly, the benefit that you get is not only are you forgiven, but secondly, you receive a freedom that this world doesn't know. Because now you get to walk with the one who knows you best and loves you most. You get to walk with that person every single day. You know, I learned a long time ago this, that the greatness of a man, that the greatness of a woman is determined by the measure of their surrender. Let me say that again. The greatness of a man, the greatness of a woman, is determined by the measure of their surrender. For when we give up, when we let go, when we give it to God, when we surrender, then God moves into our life. And he gives us a power that we can't come to on our own. And he can do some things that we would have never thought we could do on our own. Look at this next passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. It says this. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. We just celebrated Easter Two years ago, or two weeks ago. That didn't sound good, did it? (laughs) Some of you just celebrated it two years ago. We just celebrated Easter two weeks ago. And if God can blow a rock off of a grave, and he can bring a dead person back to life, don't you think that he can handle whatever problem or issue that you're going through? I mean, the tomb is still empty. Sometimes I think we celebrate it on Easter, and then all of a sudden we get weighed down by everything else in life, and we get overwhelmed, and we start thinking, oh no, you know what, he is really dead. No, he isn't. He's alive. 
That's why my kids and I, we love to sing that song. My God's not dead. He's surely alive. Because he's alive every day, folks. And some of you are living lives in which are dead lives. And the reason is because you don't surrender daily. You try to keep it to yourself. You try to own it. You try to make yourself feel guilty for whatever that is. And he's got the kind of power, folks, that can move people out of graves. And that kind of power begins when you surrender to him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you a desire and the power to do what pleases him. When you surrender your life to God, one day at a time, every day, he will be with you. He says, and you know what? Even if you fall... I will reach down with my grace and I'll pick you back up and I'll tell you, hey, let's go just a little bit farther today. Over the past few weeks, uh, I've had the chance to work with our Celebrate Recovery leadership team, actually the last couple months. And I have been so impressed by these courageous, uh, loving, uh, you know, just cool people who uh, have simply humbled themselves. And so I asked this week if I could figure out kind of their story and what, where some of their freedom was. And this was some of their story. One person has been sober for two years. Another person has found freedom from sexual abuse and codependency. Another person has been clean from cocaine for four years. Another person has found freedom from overeating. Another person has been sober for three years. A couple others have found freedom from depression and pornography and broken relationships. And another person has found sobriety for five years. And when I sit down with these people and we talk about how we're going to care for our community, you can just see the hope in their eyes. Because together with God, they're actually walking in freedom. And each one of them are experiencing exactly what Paul said when he said these words. He said, I can do everything through Christ. Not through myself, but through Christ who gives me strength. And folks, let me just ask you this morning. Do you want to get well? Are you broken? You got a willingness to believe? Are you ready to surrender? You know, one day I just woke up and I realized that Chris Almighty had to surrender to God Almighty. That it just wasn't working so well when Chris was the center of all things and I had to get off the throne and let Christ be the one who would be there. And I just want you to know today, you know, I'm not being arrogant, I'm not being cocky, but I walk free. I walk daily in freedom. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean that I don't have issues in my life that I struggle with. And I walk free not because I'm a pastor, because I do good things. You know why I walk free? Because every day I surrender to Christ's control in my life. You see, folks, I walk free with God. And I was praying about it this week. You should too. You really should. You should walk free. Doesn't mean that the circumstances of life are not going to just be like a storm sometimes. But even in the midst of my storms, folks, I'll tell you, I walk with the freedom of knowing that he's in the boat with me. And so I thought that the way we would close today is that we would give you a moment just to surrender whatever's in your life. Because one of the things that I found is that, you know, we had all these walls up here on Easter. And, uh, 
Some people were here on Easter and they're not here today. And part of that's because they haven't surrendered. But you're here today. But this week you'll be tempted not to surrender. You'll be tempted to, oh, I, I can do this. I can do it on my own. I can control this thing. I can do whatever. And so I thought I would just encourage you to have a moment of surrender. And I'm just going to ask God to to reveal to you whatever it is you need to surrender. And for some of you, maybe it's to surrender to Christ. Say, I want him to be the center of my life. And I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up right now and uh, to be there. And Derek's going to close us in a song. And uh, if you need some prayer today, something that you need to have some surrender for, that you can just come up. So just take a moment right now, bow your heads. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. Whatever that thing is that the person who is sitting in the person's chair needs to surrender God, would you show that to them today? Pray this in Jesus' name. prayer for anything, uh, Justin and Pam are up here to pray, and, and let's just close in prayer. God, we, uh, we come and we do surrender ourselves to you this morning. We ask that uh, you would help each person who's in this place to know that uh, you are present. And that uh, as we surrender to you, God, that you really do come and move in our lives and give us power to overcome any of the things that are in our lives. 
God, I know the tendency will be that we may be surrendered today, but tomorrow or the next day we'll try to take that thing back. And I pray that daily, God, we would begin the morning, begin our day by simply saying, God, I surrender this to you today so that you might move in a great way. So God, be with us and uh, allow us to have surrendered lives all week so that your name would be made great. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you're here for the first time, stop by uh, our guest connections. we got a free gift for you. Your spirit.